Today is November 26, 2021. This episode has obviously been pre-recorded. I hope you are having a great time with family and friends. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. May you have a full tummy and a content heart. Today is Black Friday. Happy shopping to you too. Uh, we will start the episode by giving you exciting news about the first vaccine recommended by the World Health Organization against malaria. Then we will give you an overview on eating disorders. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, this is Dr. Tana Parker. I'm here to give you a very important update in medicine. Um, as most people know, malaria is a devastating disease. It continues to kill thousands of people every year around the world. Uh, since the year 2000, there's been 1.5 billion cases of malaria and 7.6 million deaths. In 2019, there were 229 million new cases, 409,000 deaths, and most of these were children under the year, age of 5. Effective vaccines uh, for many protozoal diseases are available for animals. For example, the vaccine against toxoplasmosis in sheep, babesiosis in cows, and more. However, vaccines for protozoal disease in humans has not been widely available until now. The RTSS vaccine against malaria was approved by the European Medicines Agency in July 2015 for those babies at risk and it was rolled out in pilot projects in Malawi, Ghana, and Kenya in 2019. In October of 2021, the World Health Organization announced the recommendation of this anti-malaria vaccine. The trade name is Moscarix. The vaccination is re recommended for children in sub-Saharan Africa and other regions with moderate to high transmission of Plasmodium falciparum, which is considered the deadliest parasite in humans And, and it is also a carcinogen, meaning it can cause cancer. Um, so this vaccine, now that it's approved, it's shown low to moderate efficacy. It prevents about 30% of severe malaria after four doses in children younger than five years old. So, uh, you know, implement, implementation of vaccination is not free from challenges, and it should be executed not as the solution for the disease, but as part of the solution along with other efforts such as mosquito control, effective health care, and more. RTSS is an add-on to continue the fight against malaria worldwide. Hopefully we can lighten the heavy burden of malaria for more than 87 countries that suffer severe consequences of poor control of this devastating disease. This is Rio Bravo Q Week, your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program from Bakersfield, California. Our program is affiliated with UCLA and sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista. Let us be your healthcare home. We're alive, guys. Thank you for being here. Of course. Yeah, uh, so we have today uh, Jeffrey and Sophia who are two wonderful medical students who are back they finished their rotation with us but they liked it so much that they came back <laughs> so thank you for being here definitely so hi can guys you, can I'm... you introduce yourself please hi guys I'm Sophia I'm a third-year medical student at Ross University and I'm Jeffrey I'm also a third-year medical student at Ross University so I'm Jeffrey and Sophia 
and me a little bit, will be discussing eating disorders today. This is not intended to be a comprehensive lecture on eating disorders. This episode is intended to give you a very basic information, hoping to motivate you, the listener, to keep learning about it. Okay? Okay. So good afternoon, everyone. Let's start talking about eating disorders today, specifically anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa. I will be covering the anorexia portion of the podcast, and Sophia will be covering the bulimia part. Okay, well, let's begin with the definition. So we always have to start like very basic. So eating disorder, what's an eating disorder? An eating disorder is a disturbance of eating that interferes with health. As a reminder, health, you know, it's a very complex term, but it's a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease and infirmity. And that was the definition given by the World Health Organization. So an eating disorder is an is a wide in a wide context is any eating pattern that is out of what is considered normal for a person or for a human being. And that variation in feeding causes health problems. But in general, when we talk about eating disorders in medicine, we refer to anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa. So that's those are the topics we're going to be addressing today. But it can also include other disorders like avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, binge eating disorder, night eating disorder, pica and rumination disorder. But we'll leave those disorders for another another episode, guys. Hopefully you can come back and talk about those. <laughs> right. yes, of so let's talk about with anorexia then. Okay, so let's start talking about anorexia. So in general, anorexia is characterized by immoderate food restriction, inappropriate eating habits or rituals, obsessions with having a thin figure, or an irrational fear of weight gain, as well as distorted body self-perception. There are two main subtypes of anorexia, the restricting type versus the binge eating or purging type. So Sophia, do you want to tell us the difference between the restrictive type and the binge eating type? Yes, of course. So anorexia, the restrictive type, is when weight loss is achieved by diet, fasting, or excessive exercise. Meanwhile, the binge eating purging type entails eating binges followed by self-induced vomiting and or using laxatives, enemas, or diuretics. These patients will have an intense fear of gaining weight or becoming fat. They will have a distorted perception of body weight and shape or denial of the medical seriousness of one's low body weight. So that's anorexia nervosa. So there is another concept here that is avoidant restricted food intake disorder. That may sound very similar, but in anorexia, you have an altered perception of your body. So you say, I'm fat. So that's a patient with anorexia. But in avoidant restricted food intake disorder, your perception of your body weight and shape is not abnormal. You say, I'm skinny and I'm okay with that. I like being skinny. This is this is new information for me. I have to admit that I didn't know this. And I thought that anorexia was always present anytime the patient was refusing to eat. But it seems like there is a difference between anorexia and avoidant restricted food intake disorder. All right, so Jeffrey, why do people develop these eating disorders? Oh, there are so many reasons why people develop eating disorders. First, it can be psychological due to low self-esteem, feeling of inadequacy or failure, feeling of being out of control, response to change like puberty, or even response to stress. Second, it can be due to interpersonal issues like having trouble with family and personal relationships, difficult expressing emotions or feelings, or even history of being teased based on their size or weight. Lastly, it is the social and cultural norms that we grow up in. There are many cultural 
pressures that glorify thinness and place value on obtaining the perfect body, narrow definitions of beauty that include women and men of specific body weights and shape. And sometimes there is no reason at all. Some people just get obsessed with, with their weight and perceive them themselves as fat. Something that culturally is different, you know, different cultures they see uh, thinness differently, right? For example, I think some Polynesian cultures they see uh, having weight as a, as a sign of uh, social status. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that, for example, in the Mexican culture or the Latino culture, babies or little kids that are normal weight sometimes are perceived as being sick so uh, there is also always variation of what what's considered thin what's considered healthy but in general for medicine you know a normal bmi uh, is considered healthy mm -hmm. and since a lot of these patients are so afraid of gaining weight how does it affect the entire body <clears throat> oh anorexia can affect multiple systems in our body just to name a few symptoms that it can benefit manifest as is amenorrhea infertility, constipation, dizziness, hypothermia, bradycardia, hypotension, dry skin, and even hair loss. Starvation induces protein and fat catabolism that leads to loss of cellular volume and atrophy of the heart, brain, liver, intestine, kidneys, and muscles. Wow, I would have never have thought it can affect that many different organs. Let's dive into each organ system separately. Okay, yeah, let's start with the heart. It can, For the heart, it can decrease the cardiac mass, decrease the chamber's volume, cause myocardial fibrosis and pericardial effusion. These manifestations are irreversible if the patient gains weight again. Functionally, it can cause bradycardia due to increased parasympathetic activity, hypotension, decreased heart rate variability, and QT prolongation on ECG. That's a lot of effects on just the heart. What about some of the other organ systems? So for the lungs, it can cause shortness of breath due to weakened or wasting of the respiratory muscles, pneumothorax, and aspiration pneumonia. And for the GI system, it can lead to gastroparesis with bloating, constipation, severe pancreatitis, and mild transaminitis. For the blood system, it can lead to anemia, leukopenia, and thrombocytopenia. And skin manifestations include dry or scaly skin, hair loss, acne, hyperpigmentation, and even acrocyanosis. You can also find something that is very interesting. It's called lanugo. So lanugo is very thin, light-colored hair on the face and the body. It is thought to be an adaptation from your body to keep it warm. You know, more hair, more warmth for your body. So lanugo is common in patients with anorexia nervosa as well as other causes of malnourishment. That's why wearing coats in warm weather can be a silent sign of anorexia. So if you see a patient that is always wearing like heavy coats in the evening when it's warm outside, that can be a sign of anorexia. And um, other signs that may include social withdrawal, fidgeting, and that's usually to burn calories and to keep your body warm. And that's why chihuahuas, right? Chihuahuas, mm -hmm. they, they shake a lot mm -hmm. because they they want to keep their, their body hot or warm. And always eating in private can be another sign of anorexia because sometimes they are not eating at all. They're just skipping meals. It is important to remember that all these manifestations that Jeffrey mentioned and Sophia are not present with intermittent fasting, which is another way uh, to treat obesity. Okay, and it's because when you are fasting, you have a period when you replay, uh, you replenish all your vitamins or all your minerals that are called the feasting periods. So some may argue that intermittent fasting may promote eating disorders, and you might disagree with that. You may agree with that. But I believe 
myself, my opinion is that intermittent fasting is just another way, an effective treatment to treat obesity. Interesting. So with all these manifestations, is there a treatment plan for these patients? Yes, of course. There's several treatment options for these patients. We can refer them to nu nutritional rehabilitation where they can supervise their meals. We can refer them to psychotherapy, such as cognitive behavioral therapy or motivational interviewing. There is also a drug called olanzapine ol ol for this condition. Actually, a person can even gain weight with this drug. And I, the way I remember this is because olanzapine <laughs> and obesity, they both start with an O. <laughs> so, yeah. O round, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or lansapine or obesity. So, sometimes patients may need admissions to the hospital. Uh, I learned recently that UCLA, the University of California of Los Angeles, uh, they have an eating disorder program. And this includes inpatient services. Some centers are very specialized and include family therapy and group therapy. And so for the listeners, you can continue to research about anorexia. It is fascinating. You can keep learning, reading about it to treat your patients. And the prevalence, interestingly, of anorexia in the U.S. is estimated to be 0.6% of the population. Wow. We covered a lot about anorexia. So let's talk about um, bulimia now, another eating disorder. Yeah, okay, let's cover that. So by definition, bulimia nervosa is when a person binge eats and then uses certain behaviors to prevent the gain weight, weight gain. These behaviors may include self-induced vomiting, using laxatives or diuretics, exercising excessively or fasting, and having a restrictive diet. What are some of the ways that patient presents? What are the signs and symptoms that, uh, for us to look for? So it's always key to start with a physical examination. On, so on physical presentation, these people usually have an appropriate weight for their height or will be overweight. They usually aren't underweight. Okay, and that's the main difference with anorexia, right? So in anorexia, you have skinny people. In bulimia, you have normal weight, overweight, or patient with obesity. Regardless of their weight, these patients are are malnourished they have malnutrition because they may lack some essential nutrients causing serious health consequences that's why nutrition cannot be assessed only by measuring the bmi in patients mm -hmm. and that's why we look for some of these other common signs such as tachycardia hypotension dry skin hair loss if the person uses self-induced vomiting to prevent weight gain they may have erosion of the dental enamel from all the acid that comes up when they're vomiting there can also be scarring or calluses on the dorsum side of the hand from all the acid and their parotid glands that are located on the sides of the jaws, they may be swollen. And that causes a sign that is known as the chipmunk phase of bulimia. And from talking to this person and getting a detailed history, we will learn of the symptoms of bulimia that bulimia nervosa can cause. This will include lethargy and fatigue. Okay, that's my phone. You can finish. This will include lethargy and fatigue, irregular menstrual periods in a female, abdominal pain and bloating and constipation. So this disorder really takes a toll on our body. There are plenty of complications that come with it as well. Let's try to break it down by system. So the GI system has the most complications, so I'll start here. Complications include esophageal tears from tears from the vomiting called Mallory Weiss syndrome, which will present with bloody vomiting a loss of gag reflex, esophageal dysmotility, abdominal pain and bloating, GERD, diarrhea, malabsorption of nutrients, fatty stools known as teratorrhea, 
colonic dysmotility leading to constipation, irritable bowel syndrome, rectal prolapse, and even pancreatitis. And because I said that you guys can correct me if I say a word wrong, so I'm going to correct you. Steatorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Steatorrhea is fatty stools, so that's good. Okay. And then with the cardiac system, a serious complication is IPAC-induced myopathy. So I want to spend a little time on this. IPAC is actually a syrup that someone with bulimia nervosa may use to make themselves vomit. And that syrup can also be used in intoxication sometimes, right, with, in poisoning. But I like the Spanish word better. It's called ipecacuana. Yeah, so if a person uses a syrup frequently or for a long amount of time, there's a component called emetine, which will accumulate in the muscle, including the cardiac muscle. If a person uses IPAC chronically, it can be detected in the urine for up to 60 days. This will damage the heart muscles or myocardium and lead to cardiomyopathy. It will present with symptoms such as chest pain, shortness of breath, hypotension, tachycardia, bradycardia, or T-wave abnormalities on ECG and conduction delays, arrhythmias, pericardial effusions, and even congestive heart failure. And why do I really want to emphasize this? It's because cardiomyopathy may be irreversible. And this leads us into our next system, the renal system or the kidneys. Yeah, so the kidneys control the balance of electrolytes in our body, as well as filtering all the toxins. So when the kidneys are impacted, the complications will include dehydration with electrolyte levels showing hypokalemia, hypochloremia, hyponatremia, and metabolic alkalosis. So this could happen in patients who use diuretics as a purging mechanism. And then the next system, the endocrine system, also helps balance many of these electrolytes and hormones in our body as well. So the endocrine system primarily impacts the reproductive and skeletal systems. So in a study that was done, among 82 women treated for bulimia nervosa, menstrual irregularities were still present in 45% Menstrual irregularities were present in 45% at pretreatment and still present in 31% of these women at 12 months follow-up. So these irregularities may look like spotty or very light menstrual cycles, and the cycles may be erratic or even completely absent. For the skeletal system, osteopenia and osteoporosis are common with bulimia nervosa. Osteopenia means weaker, more brittle bones, and osteoporosis is a little bit more serious than osteopenia and cause, cause more fractures no can more easily result in fractures yeah with osteopenia right mm -hmm. yep <clears throat> even patients with osteoporosis i mean osteoporosis fractures but people with osteopenia can also have fractures we just have to calculate the frac score right so the diagnosis of bulimia nervosa can easily be made clinically and after the diagnosis with bulimia nervosa the first step in helping them is always getting a full lab work to see what systems the body have been impacted and this will lead us to the treatment options, which can include nutritional counseling, behavioral therapy, and even medications. If a person needs help connecting with someone that can help with this disorder, there are organizations that they can contact, which will connect them with proper resources that are available in their area. These organizations include the Academy for Eating Disorders and the National Eating Disorders Association. So bulimia nervosa is more prevalent in females than males in all age groups. In the United States, adults' prevalence is 1%, and the adolescence prevalence is 0.9%, with a median age of onset of 18 years. After comparing different, different age groups, we have seen the prevalence of bulimia nervosa has increased over time. Well, that's great. I think you guys have covered a lot of uh, basics um, in, in anorexia and bulimia. So we're going to wrap it up with a conclusion. 
Okay, so anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, they're both dis- eating disorders that can have consequences on the health of our patients. We should know the differences between these two diseases and know the resources available in our community to assist these patients. The diagnosis can usually be made clinically, but you will need to order labs or imaging for a full assessment. And eating disorders are an example of a direct effect on a... Is an eating disorder... Sorry. So eating disorders are an example of a direct effect a mental illness can have on in, in the body. In the specific case, anorexia and bulimia can cause malnourishment. The treatment of these diseases require a multidisciplinary team to treat the patient and the family as well. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for talking about anorexia and bulimia. Remember, listeners, keep learning about it. This is just a brief introduction, and you can uh, learn more by reading books, listening to podcasts like ours, and um, reading journals. So thank you guys for for participating in the podcast. Mm, Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, yes. Now we conclude our episode number 76, Eating Disorders. We started this episode with exciting news about a new malaria vaccine, a step forward in our fight against malaria. Sophia, Jeffrey, and Dr. Ariaza presented an interesting overview about anorexia and bulimia. They taught us that if a patient perceives him or herself as fat, but they are actually underweight, they may have anorexia. Patients with bulimia tend to have normal or above normal BMI, but have periods of binging and purging. Be aware of these conditions while assessing your patient's nutritional status and treat appropriately or refer as needed. Even without trying, every night you go to bed being a little wiser. Thanks for listening to Rio Bravo Q Week. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at Week at clinicaseravista.org or visit our website at riobravofmrp.org backslash qweek. This podcast was created for educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. This week, we thank Hector Ariaza, Tana Parker, Sophia Dillon, and Jeffrey Wynn. Audio by Saraj Amruthia. See you next week.